knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. In the cave, drinking bourbon. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. So I'm terrible at in you know these podcast things because I've been so new at it, <laughs> and so I've I've been like diligently saying, let me introduce the individual because typically we just like start talking, dive in and talk about your kids and you know your kids are awesome and My how wife. it's in the blood and how your wife <laughs> talks acts, talks like a South African <laughs> and stuff like that, but. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Bert Soren, um, president of Sorenx Exercise Equipment. Um, I'm a hunter. Um, I'm part of the the um, Blood Origins family. You are awesome. We are so happy to have that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, I'm just uh, I love the outdoor lifestyle and and couldn't imagine my life without it. You take your kids hunting? I do. <clears throat> I do. Um, it, Try to expose them to it every chance. Again. And Ezra just turned nine, so has have they killed anything yet? They have not. Uh, Kodiak, my youngest son, um, is four, and he was with me this year when I killed my largest buck in South Carolina. Yeah, I saw that. And you know, I mean, I've been hunting here my whole life and killed a lot of deer, and so to a super neat thing to have my son with me when you know when when I get my my biggest South Carolina buck, a big mainframe 10. And it was mm -hmm. awesome. And he was with me and kind of the whole thing. We talked our way through it and the strategy involved. And, and, and he was fascinated in it. He thought it was just the coolest thing. And last year, actually, it was really cool. I was sort of, heck, we're just jumping right into it. But uh, last year I took him hunting. Uh, he would, had not turned four yet. He was three. And it was January 1st and it was the last day of the deer season. And he wanted me to take him hunting, and I had, he was three, so I'm thinking he's going to be into this for like 14 minutes, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, backwards the story a little bit, he, because I work so much and he goes to bed early and I have, you know, things to do, I don't see him very often, unfortunately, because we live in the same house, but I just don't see him very much. I, sure. leave, I leave early, 
if he's asleep, I come home after, you know, it's gone. So I remember leaving for a trip uh, one time. And um, he, I said goodbye to him. And he just kind of looked at me. He's like, bye, daddy. And I was like, what's the deal with that? Like he, my wife's like, hey, you're not around much. He doesn't know you. And I'm just like, oh man, this is horrible. Like, so it was, I wouldn't say the relationship was strained. My relationship was better with my other two kids just because they were older and they, they'd been around me more. So um, with Kodiak, so I took him hunting and we had an awesome time. We ended up taking a doe and he got to be a part of the experience. Thought it was the coolest thing. We got to drag her out. We got a little blood trail, the whole thing. And he fell in love with me. And it was interesting. The next day, I was like the coolest person. We had this relationship. We had this thing together. He talks all, he still talks about, remember the deer that we got together? Is yeah. we, Anytime we eat meat now, is this our deer we got? Is this the big yeah. buck or is yeah. this the doe? And so like there's this connection yeah. that I have to say like a specific single hunting trip changed our relationship. Yeah. And then when we went and we got that big buck this year, it's like he's super proud about that. He keeps asking me, when's it come back from the taxidermist? And that was what I was going to get him for Christmas is have it mounted. But then my taxidermist got COVID and long story. But so it, it's neat because he's getting it. And, and that's become a, a thing that's connected us. And that I, you know, I mean, I won my son back, mm. you know, and I never know. I, I never knew I lost him. And it was just. He was a kid, and of course, little kids like their mom and everything like that. And I was just some guy that lived the house. Yeah. But now he comes back here, and he'll act, like you said tonight when I put him down. You know, tell me a hunting story, but tell me a, a fake hunting story. Right. Because <laughs> he's learning that fake hunting stories are generally better than real hunting stories. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, but to be able to share that and to to think that my son wants me to connect with him and spend time with him. And the last thing he hears before he goes to bed is his dad regaling him with stories of adventure of the wild things outside. And that, mm -hmm. that to me is so cool because that's what I got when I was a kid. And I would ask my dad, I would, we would ride around the car and I would just ask him to tell me hunting stories, hunting yeah. stories, fishing yeah. stories, outdoor stories. Yeah. And ever, I've heard all of them a million times, Yeah. but I still love when he tells them to me now, I'm 44 years old and he'll tell me a story about, you know. X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, I mean, I could recite this thing. I could tell him the story, but I let him tell it Sure. because I sure. get the story, yeah. you know? And so, um, yeah, that's, uh, the long answer to, yeah, my, my kids are starting to hunt a little bit. What if Kodiak, when he's 30, has a grandkid, you know, you, he has a son, right? Your grandson and he can't hunt. Doesn't want to or can't. No, no, he cannot hunt. Um, I've thought about that a lot, actually, especially especially this week, um, with a lot of things that are going on. Not many people think about it, but that's all I've thought about. I mean, why? Not all. I shouldn't say all, but I see our freedoms being stripped away through a lack of education, through a lack of understanding, through a lack of people who love hunting and the hunting lifestyle, their ability to convey their love in a positive way of our way of life. Mm -hmm. And, and I see it slipping away and not slipping. I see it cascading away. And, you know, I, I've grown up around sharp pointy things, whether they're bullets or bows or knives or that's what I really love. And I, and I love the, the beginning, the, the pursuit and the adventure and the, the, the knowing that I don't have, the answers to everything I, I they're still unknown there's still adventure and to think that my kids might not have that or their kids might not have that and I told my wife um you know I I'll just say it like after the Georgia election and obviously we hopefully if people are aware they understand what some of those long-term ramifications could be right. and not necessarily against any specific political group but when any political group has that much power 100 percent of the power it's never necessarily good you always need checks and balances right but knowing or feeling i know what some of that is leading to it's terrifying it's terrifying for me and my way of life and what i 
And it makes me very sad to the point of tears to think that it's embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. And I was telling, I've told a couple people this week, I said, I'm embarrassed and I'm frustrated that in some ways I feel that in this country and and, in the United States of America, and I know all the listeners might not be from the U.S., that what our forefathers 244 years ago saw as a way of potential, a really good plan at equality for people to be able to manifest their own destiny and freedom. And that we've been able to go out into the wild and kind of just do what we want. Mm-hmm. As long as we're, you know, not hurting others and stuff like that, and hunting and fishing and the adventure and all that has been such a part of the American dream. Yeah. And to think that my generation, when I'm at my prime, 44 years old, that my generation dropped the ball and right. gave it away. Right. And that's really, really, really hard for me to take. Okay. It's hard for me to take to think that. And I know it started before that. I, I know my, my dad's generation was, I hate to say, part of the problem. And the younger generation, younger than me, is part of the problem because they're, they're ill-equipped with the education mm-hmm. and the experience. Yeah. But the bottom line is, for us 30- and 40-year-olds, we're supposed to be holding up. We're in our prime of our work life. We're, we, we should be mature. We should be to a point where we can convey positive messages in education and vote correctly that I wouldn't say correctly, but long-term voting, long looking at something more than what we have and I get this year or next year or a tax break or things like that. Like, where does this drive my lifestyle, my country and everything for not for me anymore, for my kids? I could survive, but where does this put my kids, their experience and their my grandkids' experience? And I think we drop the ball. I think we let go of the rope and honestly, I don't know if we'll ever get it back. And that's something that's really worked on me this week is I, I feel like a failure in many ways. And I think my generation in some ways should feel like a failure because I don't think it'll ever be the same. Um, I hope it will, but there will have to be some major changes in people waking up to realize that the death of a thousand cuts uh, has started in some ways, in my okay. opinion. I, I can see what you've said. I will say I'm not that much of a doom and gloom kind of guy. I'm glad because you've been in a different country and I'm just hoping I'm seeing it wrong. I'm praying that I'm seeing it wrong. No, but I think the way that you're looking at it, the way that you're framing it, the way that you're scared makes you more aware. Mm. It makes you hypersensitive right. to the things that you love so much. Mm. And today... The thing that took hold with me today in the conversations that we've had today has been one single word. What's that? Foothold. (laughs) In that, there is things that are beyond our control. Right. I believe in the political spectrum that we live in, I get the idea that you have a voice, you have a vote. Okay, I get it. But now, in the situation I'm in, the situation you are in, there is no more voting, i.e. it has happened. Yes. And so, what can we do? What can we do to ensure the appropriate footholds are put in place? Mm -hmm. Or, actually, a better question would be, what can we do to ensure that the the in, the the footholds that are inappropriate right are not put in place that is the key yeah okay so what is that what are those what are those footholds that if we see in the next 2 years or 3 years almost spread and not spread like a cancer but spread into our community become take take hold in our community right right well i think we'll probably based upon our conversation define footholds and how yeah define it for how me. you and i were talking about it and so something i talk about in my company is uh never give anyone footholds and that that's in that's in uh in business negotiation that's in it's in anything you you'd never want to give 
anyone not on your team any kind of angle. If you're like a wrestler, you never want to give them the angle on you, right? You never want to give them an opportunity to grab hold to you and, and leverage you. And that doesn't mean you're doing anything nefarious. It's just an advantageous positioning. Right. So if... And I would say the the opposition here, right? The the competition right here is the people that do not want to see hunting happen. That is accurate. That is accurate. And and again, potentially not by the fault of their own. It doesn't make them bad people. It makes them potentially there there could be some bad people in there but i don't want to necessarily paint them as that maybe they could just be uneducated or unexperienced inexperienced mm -hmm. so if i was to say i don't want to give footholds to that community then that means we like i, I tell what i tell my guys run a clean race run it you know run a clean okay. game so and what are some of the characteristics of that clean race that clean race is um be the best steward for the hunting community possible. Don't belittle people that don't understand. Don't sneer at them when they say st stupid things per se about hunting. Um, educate them. Uh, talk eloquently. Uh, listen to them. Listen curiously to their questions. Answer candidly but with tact. No need to belittle someone because maybe they just don't know. You were talking about the young lady from Kenya. Who had asked about, you know, do you, do do Americans kill elephants and then they go and they sell their 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 tusk for seventy thousand dollars and all this other stuff? So like, whoa, 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 that that's not even a thing. That's illegal. That's not that's not what people are doing. But yeah, answering in a way that is, hey, let me let me explain to you the real deal. And instead of answering, are you stupid? Are you stupid? What's wrong with you're you? You're a moron. You're exactly. evil. You're this or that. Because all that does, as we found from, from geopolitics, is basically radicalize your opponent. Uh, I, you know, it's it, not to get too much into wars and things like that, but let's just, let's just be honest. If someone comes over and kills my dad, you're going to radicalize me to come over and try to kill you in 20 years. It's just kind of how it works. Mm -hmm. You don't like, oh, cool, you killed my dad, and then you like, gave me a pamphlet. I'm good now. That right. just really doesn't happen. So we're not talking about killing one another, but just the social killing or verbal killing, that needs to stop. It needs to stop belittling, openly belittling, and saying that people are morons because they don't believe, they don't agree with you. Um, if and you I would assume, sorry to interrupt you. Sure thing. I'm assuming you're talking about your, your rhetoric to the competition. Rest, correct. But what about the rhetoric internal? That's a hard one to police. That's a hard one to police. Why don't we police each other? Why is it that there's this stigma and this dogma right. of hunters not being able to point the finger at another hunter? I, I have my reasons for it, mm -hmm. why it happens. But it's like you, there's, there's, there's this stigma about, no, 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 you just don't do that. Well, because I think we believe we're the minority and, and any type of infighting is going to weaken our position globally. Totally agree. And what people need to realize is, you know, kind of like in my company, with my top brass of managers and, you know, all these people, we could, the, the thing is, we could argue all we want and yell and scream and do whatever we're going to do behind closed doors. But when we open that door and walk out, we're a unified front. This is what we're doing. We all agree, whether you agree or not, if we've already agreed, this is what the unified front is. And that's where I think people need to understand, like, hey, we could sit around and have a beer at hunt camp and disagree. In fact, I hope we do, because we'll come up with better solutions if we listen, right. actually listen to one another. Right. Candid and curiously listen to one another about hot topics, whether it's high fence, low fence, trophy hunting, wolf hunting, whatever hunting. It doesn't matter. Like, all of that, you know, you I mean, now that now there's a thing like a suburban hunting you know, urban hunting and stuff like that. And hey, hey, I'm cool with it. As long as it's legal and it like, I mean, that whatever, as long as you're getting to enjoy hunting, I'm not here to tell you my hunting style is better than your hunting style. As long as we both enjoy it, we do it legally and we don't do it that puts a black eye 100%. on what we love. 100%. Right? And we just need to 
get past the what well, th- these guys are a bunch of so and so's because they x hey man listen there ain't enough of us to do that so if we're going to argue about it let's argue about it in hunt camp come to a conclusion but when we walk out this door we are pro hunting we're policing our own we're having the conversations we know we want to make this experience with the general public better and that's the only way we're going to do it we're not going to do it by fighting one another by doing stupid things out there by poaching by just you know of course poaching's an obvious but 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 that that should be like we shouldn't have to talk about that right but sometimes you guys try to talk about things like that because you don't talk about something enough and it gets done because people didn't talk about it so that's where i would say that that hunters need to start supporting one another but also have the hard conversations but that goes back to what we were talking about earlier today not enough people have the hard conversations about any topic these days thus they lose amicably amicably thus they lose the art of having a conversation right they they engage they ingrain the art of arguing and then just raising their voice to yell over the next person mm-hmm. so rhetoric being obviously a foothold rhetoric to the competition totally. rhetoric internal you know, you mentioned poaching. It's funny, I noticed, I think it was out of Oregon, there was a news article the other day that a hunting association had put up a reward to find poachers. Wow. A bunch of elk had been killed. Sure. They were trying to figure out who did it. Hunters band together and says, hey, we've got now five grand. We're putting this five grand up to find wow. these guys. Wow. That's That's... That's not. That's another foothold, uh, right? That's it's a, it's interesting in a few ways, right? Go ahead. Well, I'm interested in what you what you, what you mean about the foothold. I want to hear. I want to hear your depiction of it. I think it's a perception foothold, okay. and that perception foothold is that one we're not poachers, so there's an explanatory foothold here that is an education, right? That mm-hmm. is hunters versus poachers. Right. Hunters versus killing, right. or hunting versus killing, um, and so these hunters coming together saying that's not right. This isn't us, right? Whoever this is, we don't even call that isn't hunting, right? And so we, because we care about wildlife, we want to find them. Sure, a hundred percent. It that's it, it's the equivalent of you know. Someone who's really into marriage calling out an adulterer. Like, you, you, you said you were going to play by the same rules as everyone else, and you're, you're ruining it for us. Stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, but unfortunately, it, it's a bad, eye on, a bad black eye on everyone. And that's, that's kind of the thing is not only are you hurting the game, you're hurting the population, you're hurting the other hunters, and you're hurting all of our abilities to do what we love to do if you screw it up for us. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, but but those are huge footholds, right? And but I think the social footholds are probably the biggest one because let's be honest. At least my premise would be, my theory is most people who are probably feel a certain way about hunting, they don't know if a guy night hunted a deer or not. They don't know anything about the actuality Correct. of poaching. They don't know the laws, they don't understand they don't the laws, they don't understand seasons. They don't know any of that. So really there's a part of me that says, yeah, that needs to be policed within our own group. But the other part of it, it's a more outward facing approach. Like how often are you cooking venison for those that are non-hunters and educating them about it and not making them feel bad about it and, and, and having good conversations that are non-judgmental and educational in nature to people that would have never eat, that don't even put hunting on the radar of things they think about. Not even the antis, just the folks that are your neighbors that never thought about hunting ever. Right. And, and they go, they see like this crazy guy leave his driveway a bunch of times in the fall dressed in camo. They're like, I don't know, some weird dude over there. But then, you know, one cold rainy day, you bring him a pot of chili. And you're like, hey, I really hope you enjoy this. And here's a sleeve of saltine crackers to go with it. And, you know, just bring the bowl back whenever you're done. I, right. hope, you, I hope you have a great afternoon. Right. I'm like, man, that guy's pretty good. And they're like, gosh, that chili was great. What was that? Actually, I, you know, killed that, that doe a few days ago with my bow. Oh, really? Wow, that's cool. Like, 
that's the stuff I believe people need to be doing and showing that you're, that we're a thoughtful, intelligent, feeling group of people that are willing to share the bounty of what we have and aren't running around just laughing like the like the Disney character would want us to and just basically blazing away at everything on four legs. 100%. And until that happens, it's going to be a hard road. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a hard road. It's not even the antis I'm worrying about. It's the people... That don't know, that they don't the middle yeah, ground. Yeah, the, mar- the majority, the non-hunting the maj- majority. Right, yeah. and 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 they're not even right. They're they're not the anti-hunters. They're just the non-hunters. So there's like that's like the swing state, which is like eighty percent of the population that mm-hmm. just don't even think about it. Yep. But if you they were to ask, and they're like, "What do you think about hunting?" It's going to be a total emotional issue to whoever's standing in the room, or whoever got touched last by whatever they right. got touched by. That right. they get touched by the guy bringing them chili. Or do they get touched by this viral video that came through social media that just happened to pop up on their screen because it's hit 500,000 views right. of some rednecks chugging beer down the carcass of a deer? Correct. 100%. 100%. And realize that every time you do that, you're screwing your chances of your kids enjoying the same thing you're enjoying. So that's the last to me... I, I, I completely agree. I think that there's two major footholds mm-hmm. that, as you say, we we do not want the competition to get a foothold on us. Right. Rhetoric is one of them. Mm-hmm. The other one is imagery. Yeah. And imagery, especially today in the social media age that we live in, that's only going to get richer. Oh, man. Yeah. I agree, and and it's part of, partly because of just the the sensitization of society, right? You you look at say a hundred years ago or even fifty years ago, death was a part of life. Correct. More so, people lived on farms. They cut the heads off of chickens because that's how they ate tonight. Cows died, dogs died, things died. Hundred years ago, kids died. Unfortunately. Death is a really sterile thing now for most people. They don't interact with it. So it's scary. It's it's something that they just they don't want to think about. They don't want to conceive of. They don't want to realize it really happens. They want to pretend that they're going to die one day at 85 years old, way, way far from now. And until that second, they don't ever want to think about it. Mm-hmm. And then when it's shown to them or pops up on their feed, it reminds them not even reminds them it it shocks them in some ways and i think if you ever read uh the book on killing by dave grossman colonel dave grossman he talks about this he talks about how in societies the older societies were around death more often and it was not sensationalized it was you know right now with video games and things like that and all this violent stuff it's sensationalized and so there's a whole different side of it that invokes an emotional uh response whereas Years ago, death didn't really evoke that much of a response. It was just a part of life. So do you think, given the societal change in the sensationalism around death, that we as hunters should recognize that we tend to sensationalize death? I think the sad truth is yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean even myself, like, if if I get... I've I've actually made it a point this year for a few animals I'm taken not to put them on social media. And partly, but aren't you selling out then, Bert? You're selling out, right? You're afraid, Bert. You're not you're not showing this that you love this lifestyle so much, Bert. That why are you afraid of not putting the animal that you harvested on social media? It was a challenge to myself. It was a challenge to my own ego. It was a challenge that, because I killed four big game animals last week, and it was, do I need for my own ego to show that? It's a very good point. And I said, if I feel the need where I have to keep flexing on that to show that I'm good at doing this, have I lost the point of doing this? And yeah, it's almost like, leave your phone in the car and remember uh-huh. why you're doing this remember why I'm doing this and I said I was going out because I was trying to harvest some does at the end of the season because I'm trying to feed people at winter strong that's why I'm going out to do it 
I love hunting. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, you know, the whole strategy and everything. But I'd figured it out. I knew where they were going to be. I knew if I was there, I was probably going to get a shot. And that was accurate. But I was going there because it was the end of the season and I needed to procure meat to feed people. And I said, okay, I'm doing it in a fully legal manner. I'm doing this. I was able to get two does one day. Great. And then I was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, take pictures. I took, I took the pictures. I did the full thing. And then I kind of went, what am I doing right now? What am I doing? Did the pic, did the deer not look big enough in one way or did this or did that or some mud or some, or maybe there was some blood on its mouth and maybe people will freak out and I'll get a hard time about that. And maybe they don't care if it's a doe. And, and then I'm like, well, I already, already posted a picture of a hog I shot earlier this week. And I didn't even post a picture of the one I shot with my bow this week because of, you know, and it's like, and I've kind of went, hold on a minute. Am I doing this to show people I'm good at this? Or am I doing it because I really love hunting and I really need this meat because I've, I know how many deer I need a year to feed my family and my friends and I'm doing that. <sighs> Dude, you're, it's, you're nailing. So the way that so part I... of it was a challenge. It was yeah. just a challenge to myself. And it, honestly, it was hard. It was hard because there was a part of me, my ego, that I have to, be real, I have, to have a realization about that was like, <laughs> dude, I shot four animals this week. And I still worked a 45-hour week. I figured out how to get it all in. This is great. And right now, I'm having to check my ego of even telling you this. But it's the reality of it. But but part of me, and this is me being cathartic going, I had a hard time with it. Because I'm going, okay, is this good? And then I thought about, is this good for hunting? Is it bad for hunting? Is it good for my personal image? Is it bad for my... Am I a bloodthirsty guy that people are like, dude, what are you doing? Or are they going to go, well, Bert doesn't even work anymore or all this other stuff. And, and I just said, you know what? I'm going to put them in the freezer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go up. I'm going to cook dinner for my kids. Guess I'm going to go to bed. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. I'm just going to go to bed. And that was nice. And I kind of went, wow, I didn't do it for anyone else. That, the pre- there was no pressure. And it was it was nice, and it was something I'd like to experience more. Because being in the outdoor industry, and I hate to even say it that way, because I don't really think I am, but I guess I kind of am now. Right. There is a pressure associated with. Right. If if you're a hunter and it's hunting season, you need to be showing up with things because you keep going out. You're not coming back with anything, so you must suck. Yeah. And we've talked about that earlier tonight, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know. On a five-day hunt, the first day is fun. The second day is a good time. The third day you want to have success. The fourth day you're getting a little bummed. The fifth day you're like, "Hey, I'm stressed." Exactly. And why? Because we why? say, you know, we say, "Well, I just do it for the experience. I do it to be outside." And I've said before, if that's the case, why don't you just go hiking? Or no, then, then don't put bullets in your gun if that's what you're thinking. But I have to do. I have to realize I'm a predator. I I have that in my genes, and I I like that, and I'm okay with it. But um, but there's also, you know, I hate to say there's ego. There's ego involved. I'll say this. I think what's 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 the most important thing that anyone can take away from this conversation is this. Is to me what I just heard is the counter to ego, which is thought. Hmm. You thought. You thought through things. You thought about what's this going to say? What is this going to be? How am I going to be portrayed? How is it going to be seen? All those things are thought patterns. Hmm. And I've said this for a long time. The savior of hunting is people thinking. Hmm. That's all it's going to take is for people just to give a little bit of thought. Hmm. And thought comes in the in the way of imagery. Sure. How I post, what I post. Thought comes in the way of comments and context. Hmm. Context is everything. Of what is it that I'm showing? Why is it that I'm showing it? Yeah. Thought to 
not posting that thing that will probably inflame a bunch of people. Yeah. But see, be but be seen cool to a certain population to the internal hunting fraternity, right? Themselves for, for a, a segment of it. Sure. Yeah, and those things, those things went through my mind, and and you know, there's there's some hunters that I think we talked about earlier that I look up to because, well, I mean, they're good at it. I mean, if I was a football player, I would look up to the football players who were the best at it. Sure. If we've all decided that this is what we're trying to do, the guys that are best at it get looked up to. And there's some people that you're just like, man, like, you're kind of doing the math. They're like, I think that guy's killed like four giant bucks this week. He's just on a tear. You know, he's gone to three different states. He's done this, you know. It's it's doable, and he they're setting up the, you know, the whole thing. But you're just like, man, this... And there's a side of you that goes, I want to be able to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm from the strength world. It's an ego-based world. That guy's strong. I want to be strong. That guy's good at bow hunting. I want to be good at bow hunting. Well, I, there's an element in the, from a hunting perspective. Yeah, strength, I get that. Mm-hmm. I, I always believe that in hunting, because this thing is buried in our DNA for thousands of generations. Right. Well, actually, that was a... An uber exaggeration, sorry, <laughs> right. um, for generations. And, you know, the whole idea of hunter-gatherers, hunters bringing the meat back to the tribe and of course. the men feeling you're going to get... Bringing the, home the bacon. Yeah, bring home the bacon. The women are going to look at you a little differently because sure. you brought home the meat. The other guys in camp are going to feel a little jealous. Well, I want to outdo this person, this person. It's just inherent. It's an, it's, yes, it's as old as the earth is old. It's just in there, right? But they didn't have to worry <laughs> about what you just described, which was the desensitization. Oh, sorry. The sensitization, the sensitization. Yeah. around death Yeah, that society is in. And that just, again, it comes back to thought, thinking, and knowing that. And I guess this is the point of this podcast is that people listening to it Iron sharpening, iron conversation. Two guys going at it, thinking through what this thing is. Just, just running, running it through, running it through. Because I don't have the answers, and I love the questions because you're making me really question my motives, which is the key to all this, right? Well, see, this is, and you'll appreciate this because you're in the business of selling stuff, okay? One layer we haven't talked about is the whole marketing brand industry that is hunting. Right. And there is, you know, there's no qualms, ifs, ands, or abouts it. And that was the whiskey talking. <laughs> but that's why I'm getting more right now. I got to get on your level. Is that we are in the position that we are in today because killing sells. Yeah. Bad hunters don't get reviews. <laughs> no, and the the bow that kills the best, the bullet sure. that kills the best, the rifle that kills the best, the arrow that kills the, the best. The optics, that, yeah, the whole nine. That is what our industry has focused on for 25 years. And honestly, it's a, it's a, this whole thing, and whether it's, I hate to say, strength training or, or outdoors gear, it's always on high performance, right? High performance and, and high performers are the ones we're always drawn to. I don't care if it was the Kentucky rifle 150 years ago. That was the best right shooting rifle at the time. So it's always high performance. Well, unfortunately, it, yeah, it's high performance. But it's created this idea. And our South African, our other South African has joined <laughs> us for this podcast. We have a South African lady walking in right now. But it has created this ideal that this is what hunting is. Yeah. This is what you need to show. This is what needs to be portrayed. Yeah. And it is an internal, it's an internal verification exercise Mm. that never considered what the non-hunting public thinks about hunting. Up until recently, you're exactly right. Well, who's thinking about it recently? 
Well, you you have to, in my opinion, you have to based on political, based on um, marketing, based on social media. But would you? Would I exactly? Would Sorenex think about someone who doesn't even enter into the weight realm because of what they think about what weights does? Now, look, it's a, it's a, it's this is a very hypothetical. No, I love it. (laughs) I love it. Hit it. Because that's what essentially the marketing, the marketing associated with these hunting industry brands, if they want to be around, and this is the, it's difficult to attach it to the weight company because your lifestyle is not going to go away. Right. The hunting lifestyle could go away. If the hunting lifestyle goes away, all these brands that live in that space go away. Go away. Yeah. So why are the brands not thinking about, holy shit, in 10 years' time, we're about to lose our business? We're about to dry up our whole source and our ability. Yeah. Why are they not thinking that way? I hope they are, but based on your question, I bet they're not. I bet they're not in mass. So as a businessman, let me yes. ask you this question because I'm not a businessman. I'm a scientist. You like swamps. I like swamps. How does someone who wants to sell a product, who needs to sell product, mm-hmm. think about that thing that we know is is hovering in the background. It's almost like the boogeyman in the closet. Yeah. That if he comes out, it doesn't matter because we can't sell anything anymore. And but you've got to. You've, you, you, do you hear what I'm trying to say? It's two dichotomies, right? I've got yeah. to sell this thing to the people who already believe. And at the same time, it's a double sales pitch. I mean, in many ways, in my opinion. Because you really, you almost have to be very cognizant on, let's say you're in the outdoor industry. And this is just, I'm, again, I've had some bourbon. Just, it, this can make no sense. You could edit it out. <laughs> so if you're in the outdoor industry, you, you would be smart and behoove you to sell to the, the, the hunting public, right? You that's, have to. That's who's going to purchase things right now. Yeah. But I would kind of argue a, a similarly large sales pitch needs to be to the non-hunting public that's probably never going to buy from you. You just don't want them to attack you. 100%. That's the people that you have to, I wouldn't say disarm, but in some ways disarm. Correct. And make them go, hey, you're a cool neighbor. Maybe I don't necessarily love what you do, but you're a cool neighbor. Digging it. That's your thing. This is my thing. I'm into stock car racing. And you're like, right on, man. Enjoy your stock car racing. I'm going to hunt this weekend. See you at the shopping mart. Sure. So, yes, I would say it's probably just as important for long-term, the long-term hunting industry to make sure that that those people that could punch holes in the ship and get footholds on the industry as a whole those people are, are somewhat, I don't want to say placated, but they're at least educated because they're not stupid people. They're maybe just uneducated or, or inexperienced. And so if you were able to say, hey, you know, the, I'm sure you've had the same conversations. You know, I talk to people, I say, I say well, I, I hate hunting. I said, okay, my first question to you, do you eat meat? Correct. Right? That's the easiest one. Easiest one. Because 90% of the people are going to say yes. Say, okay, well, I understand how you might feel emotionally. And I literally had this conversation with someone on Facebook a week and a half ago. I posted a, a post about my dad's bear. Girl I went to school once since first grade. I hate seeing this picture. And I just asked her, do you eat meat? And then she's like, well, yes. And I said, okay, well, although it might not be a great emotional feeling to see a dead animal, and I kind of went through the whole thing that... The intent, uh, you know, if you're going to eat meat or to consume sort of animal product, an intentional killing of that animal has to happen at some point. I don't necessarily think, like seeing things die. I don't really like cats. And when my wife cat, my wife's cat died, I cried my eyes out because I don't like seeing things die, mm-hmm. especially things that I like. And I like that cat specifically. Right. But we're not just these tasteless killers. And it, it, 
I don't love the killing portion of hunting either. I know that's a part of it that has to happen. And just because I have a skill set and and maybe an emotional disposition that allows me to do things that are maybe a little bit dirtier work than other people could handle emotionally doesn't make me a monster. It just makes me not having to farm out the hard part. And once people could kind of understand that say, hey, I understand you might feel that way, but do you realize you're still a part of this killing process by your dollars and by your your consumption? And if you're okay with that, then that's kind of more your problem. Right. Sorry, that's your spouse theory versus your theory in use. You're saying this, but your actions are dictating that. I'm not against that. I just would hope you'd think about that. Right. And I'd love to, for you to try some venison. I'd love for you to come over to my house. I could cook some X, Y, and Z. You'd love it. And I'd love for you to try that. And then after that, if you would not like that, hey, I get it. Sometimes this stuff isn't, I don't like to watch certain kind of movies. I don't like, I don't need that in my head. Maybe you wouldn't like that, but please don't, because of of being uneducated, take that away from me. Mm -hmm. And then when they go, yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess it's fine. And then it's cool because you didn't call them anything. You offered things and it's all fine. Now it's the foothold of rhetoric. It's the, right. And you had just reduced that foothold. Now, if you say, do you eat meat? And they say, no, I'm a level seven vegan. Then I usually go, although I disagree with your dietary choices, I respect your conviction. Absolutely. I do respect your conviction. I don't understand it. Why don't you tell me more about why you do that? And maybe I could be educated. And then so you give them the, the foothold to say, hey, let me unload. And maybe during their talk, they realize that maybe there's some things that were a little bit conflicting in their deal. Or maybe I'll be 11-7 vegan next week because maybe their argument was very convincing. Probably not. I'll have to tell you the story of, of a uh, a vegan that we we podcasted with. I don't even know if if the episode is out yet or not. Really? That went hunting. I love it. And the reason she went hunting was that she wasn't doing it for fun. Right. She's she's all about animal rights and all about you know the 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 health of that animal. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't doing it for fun. She wasn't doing it for the meat, but what she did it for was conservation. And so she realized it was in the UK, they were, they were shooting Chinese water deer, and there was an overpopulation of Chinese water deer on this estate. Right. And because of the overpopulation, there's disease and health and Famine malnutrition and, and whatnot. Sure. And so to her, in the ethos of her veganism, killing that animal was actually helping the health of the population. Now, kudos to her for a a very mature mindset. Absolutely. Blow your mind one step further. The meat was okay to eat. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Now what? (laughs) (laughs) Now what? (laughs) So I... We've been going for like 45 minutes, which is a long podcast for us, actually. That's Um, fine. Hey, yeah, we got bourbon still. I'm out of bourbon. We have a South African lady that will get us some more. Um, um, it's actually, do you know Laura Zera? So I have never met Laura. Okay. She'll I, be at Winter Strong. I have met Jana, obviously. Jana's awesome. Um, good friends with Laura. Um, sure. We interact over social media. Yeah. Okay. So Laura, at one time, I don't remember if she was a vegan, but she was a, a vegetarian for sure. For sure. Like for years. And she said that. She was somewhere and like her professor gave her a piece of meat one day. It was venison that was soaked in like wine dregs and she ate it raw, like a little piece. And she said her body just exploded with like energy, nutrients, the whole thing. And she realized she's like, at that second, I realized I needed to eat meat, but I didn't want to go to the factory farmed method and the industrial meat. So she said, at that point, I also realized I needed to hunt for my own meat. She goes, it wasn't what I was interested in, but I realized I needed to do that to procure meat. Interesting. So she said, I had someone teach me how to hunt, but in the meantime, I would find roadkill. Roadkill, exactly. And like all this stuff. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And to the point where she got to the point where she was persistence hunting, you know, which is walking after animals and chasing animals for 10, 20 miles 
doing it the hardest way humanly possible to napping her own arrowheads and bow hunting and the whole nine. And now she's a, a, a very proficient hunter and very active with it and stuff like that. But I thought that was such a very organic way to come about that to say flow chart from A to B. I'm this, that changes, I need meat, how am I going to procure meat, and then just go down the flow chart and not be so dogmatic in any of her thinking to not take on board new information. Right. Yeah, oh, it's amazing, man. And, you know, <laughs> I think I think way too much about thinking. And I think to, I think I just said think like five times in two minutes. That's, That's fine. the bourbon speaking. That's, yeah, you get extra but, points. you know, to... to put a fine point to this conversation i think allowing footholds to be put into our lifestyle mm. is something we all need to be thinking about yes constantly and even though to us it is a little bit of a competition internally to the hunting mm. industry this is, you know, I shot this bug, you shot that bug, it's bigger, it scores much more, yada, yada, yada. If we could just think through the prism or the lens of a non-hunter. That's the key. I, I think we've we've got the opportunity to save this thing that we love. I agree. I agree. When when you stop trying to compete, you're, you're right, stop trying to compete with one another. Guess what? I don't need to tell you how much I love hunting. You love hunting too. You already know it. Mm -hmm. You already know if we're sitting here that I love hunting. Cool. We're both good at it. How do we make sure that the people that aren't so sure about what we're doing are at least cool with it? They're at least neutral, you know, and at least respect what we love and that, that we have a right to do it. And it's part of our heritage as humans. It's part of our heritage here as Americans and, and those all around the world have, have hunted. I mean, there's no country that hasn't had a, a a great history in hunting. I mean, what do they say? Like, if you're if you're here, you're, some of your ancestors are right. great hunters. And, and uh, I know I was talking to one gentleman, and he said, you know, they asked him what it's like to be a hunter. He said, it's like to be human. It's part of it. Well, those are some good final words to put a fine point on this podcast. <laughs> South African, good? All right. <laughs> Thanks, Bert. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.